I've been listening to a lot of music I've been listening before in, in lockdown. Have you been listening to anything new or going back to anything or just kind of binging on any kind of music? Because I feel like TV and movies is the obvious one to talk about. You know, with music, I, I've i been pretty lazy. Like, I've... Yeah. Let me... I always, like, I think about stuff and then I'm on the spot and I'm like, I don't know. It's just like, it's just, yeah, always embarrassing. Um, like, silly stuff. Like, I listened to Wolf Mother's album the other day for the first time in a long time. Is that a good their, album? Their first one? Yeah, the one with Woman really? and Joker and the Thief. It's a really good album. The first song is, uh, it's called Dimension. Okay. And it's just got this really, he just does this weird yell at the start. And it gets right into it and it's really catchy with the, the bass and the, and the drums. And it's, I remember when I first heard that album, I think it was, it came out, that came out, I think my, like 2005. Okay. Might have been my second last year at NAU. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, man, these guys are good. Like, yeah. these guys are going to be really good. And they kind of, fell off and yeah who knows i remember people saying they're like kind of the new zeppelin but i think that was a pretty lazy reference just because he had kind of a high-pitched voice that they're oh that sounds like robert plank is really they're nothing like zeppelin but i remember liking woman and i thought joker and the thief was really good and i even thought that white unicorn song was pretty decent Mm -hmm. but those are the only three songs i heard by them because then he had that song with Slash, you remember when Slash had his solo album and he had different singers on every I song, do. and it was just such a piece of shit and such a nerdy song. I was just kind of like, yeah. And then yeah. I think they became that kind of band where, like, I don't know how you feel about these bands, but they keep the band name, but there's only one continuing member. Yeah, and they keep booting the other guys up. For me, I don't know what it is about that, but. It just really loses the appeal for me. I just I think it's really cool when a band sticks together. And because a band isn't just the singer, you know, or the guitar. Mm-hmm. I really like like the, I, I've been listening to the Strokes a ton. Uh-huh. And this is a bit of a hot take. But honestly, I think the Strokes are a top 10 favorite band of mine. Um, I really mm-hmm. like them. And I think it's like out, start to finish because is this it? really is an unreal album. And I think Room on Fire, which is like what got shit on because they were like, oh, it sounds too similar to the first. And then, of course, we're pissed when they didn't sound exactly like the first on their next one. I think Room on Fire is their best album. I even think that First Impressions of Earth isn't that bad. Like, it's a little long, Mm -hmm. but that album was good. I think Angles is actually pretty good. Um, That one they kept, whatever the hell it was called, it was like 2013, they didn't even announce it or go on the road for it. that one's kind of a piece of shit but their new one's really good and i think it's really cool that they've had the same lineup the whole time you know yeah I, I liked their first album was really was great one of the things i liked about it is it was short yeah um some of these bands when they get too caught up in wanting to make it things more epic yeah and that's all of a sudden they go you go from making an album that's like 42 minutes long and the next album is like 118 minutes long and it's like where's that all that extra space coming from yeah i the yeah is this it is a great album i thought room on fire was was really underrated too i had their all their three albums and listened to them a lot in college i thought first impressions was better than it got credit for yeah and i never got that either with the strokes where it was like okay you had your first album 
not every song is going to be last night. Yeah. And then people were pissed if it sounded like last night. And then they made stuff that didn't sound last night, like last night. And people were pissed that it doesn't sound like last night. And it's like, yeah, you know, we can't have last night part four. Like they're not Metallica where they're just going to keep digging up (laughs) Unforgiven and doing all these different (laughs) versions of it just to appease these weird guys that come to their concerts. So yeah, I I think the Strokes are, their their new song, I haven't heard their new album, but their new song was really really good. good. Yeah. I, I it's like really good. The strokes age well. They're, they do. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to compare them to Mumford and Sons in the sense of th- that kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, because shit, Sign Omar was obviously really good, and then Babel came out, and I really liked Babel, but still, everyone was just like, Ugh, the hell is this? This act's getting old, and then they come out with whatever, whatever the shit their new one was called, and everyone was pissed that it wasn't Babel or Sign No More, and People are such idiots with that. To be to be fair with with uh the with Mumford and Sons compared to the Strokes, I think the Strokes have way more staying power than Mumford and Sons. Mm-hmm. Mumford and Sons was cool and they they kind of originated that whole like blue grassy pop thing or popularized it at least. But I feel like that was a bit more of a flash in the pan than just kind of straight up guitar based rock and roll. You know. I hear what you're saying. I think. With with Mumford, we were listening to Sino More uh, the other day. I really like Babel. It's got like a special place for me because like, when I was playing in Romania, um, I listened to that and the Avid Brothers uh, a ton because I, I lived within walking distance of the core of the gym, but it was still probably like a 15, 20 minute walk. So to avoid having to, you know, drown, you know, just having to drown out the street noise, I'd always listen to those albums on the walk. Yeah. So Babel has a special place for me because of that, just because of associating with what was going on. But Sino More is a really, really good album. It like, is. Really good. Like, they came out of the gate throwing 105 mile an hour fastballs yeah. with that one. So I got a real, yeah, I, that and... Um, and Babel, I think, are, are fantastic. It was kind of like, how in the world do you follow that up yeah. with more of that stuff and not have people say what we just said? Well, it's just the same stuff. And then they went electric and people are going, where the hell are the, yeah. you know, where are the banjos? And it's like, well, I still think some of the music they, they made are, is good. Yeah. Clearly the guy got over being heartbroken because <laughs> the first two albums are just all these like, heavy metaphors of you know ripping your heart out of your chest and the betrayal that comes along and all these sorts of things clearly the guy head and stuff yeah clearly the guy got over it and then there was on this third album it's like oh there's some optimism in here i don't like it i think totally it's the metallica thing where it's like you guys got sober and you're kind of crappy now i know i don't for you yeah life's so much better but like it's maybe having to get back to the good stuff? next album. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid to smash a case before you go out and and, uh, <laughs> and and write the album, fellas, because you know Black Album was great. Some kind of monster was horrible. And, was it? I never oh, even listened to it. They had a documentary. Oh no, I remember that. I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The VH1 thing, I think, where Lars is just like threatening everybody and like getting in everyone's face and it's like does, does everyone has everyone been around Lars in the band so much where they forgot that he's 5'3 and he's probably 110 pounds and you could <laughs> toss him like a teddy bear 
And he's like in everyone's face, just like telling them how it is. And then and then it's like, I had no idea Lars Aldrich was such a badass because I really don't think that he is. Plus also too, he's like 62. And got this skullet and sweats and he's just going around <laughs> telling everyone how it is. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Melting everybody off. And yeah. then the album comes out and you're like, all right. And I remember listening to him like, that's awful. That's not going to, and that's not going to get better. It's not that one of those ones. Saint Anger? Oh. Is that the Saint Anger album? It is, yeah. Oh, it yeah. Is. That I, That's all I needed to hear to decide this sucks. If that's your leadoff triumphant comeback single, I'm over oh. it. The music, when the music video came out for St. Anger, that was like a big reveal on MTV. Yeah, and, and much they, music. Yeah, and they hyped it for like three weeks. Yeah. And I remember I was at college when that came out, and we were sitting around, and we're like, okay, like we're going to check this out, because everybody still loved Metallica. Like, it was, yeah. you know, I know the Inner Sandman stuff is probably what they're best known for by, like, mainstream people, but, like, their load reload albums were great in the 90s and you know the hardcore stuff in the 80s with ride the lightning and kill them all and injustice and master of puppets is probably their best album when saint anger finished you were like this is not going to turn out well this is going to be a bad album uh if this is the one that they're hoping to get people jacked yeah. they say about three sentences in the song and over and over and over again <laughs> and just because you had a music video in San Quentin and you got all these prisoners running around making it look tough, it's like it still couldn't really cover up the fact that this is a bad song. Bad song. Yeah. I remember everything about that, actually. I remember that very vividly being in grade nine and the, at much music at the time. So, like, the Canadian MTV, they had one of those things where they got the VJ or whatever the hell they called them, and they had an audience there, and it was this big reveal. This is the new Metallica album. And yeah, you just get all these like angsty skid metal heads in the crowd that are just about to riot because they're so excited. Then they show the video and they come back and people are like clapping, but there's just this obvious like discomfort. And everyone clearly is just like, well, that was a piece of shit. And, and even just the video, like they can't help it. They're getting older. It's it's, it's the way it is. Yeah, but you, you think of Metallica and the, they got the flowing hair and James Hetfield has the mustache. And now he looks like he's 84 and he's wearing this awful beanie. And yeah, the snare drum is so high. The song sucks. Yeah, and the only so words high. are, Saint Anger, and I'm madly in anger with you. And you're like, ah, oh, shut up and just retire already. Because even when they came out the album after, and I remember it was like, whatever their single was, it was like fine. But I think just because it didn't suck as much as Saint Anger, like Metallica's back, but you listen to it and you're like, eh, it's still kind of weak. What I remember people being pissed about was a, a signature of Metallica is, is the guitar solo. So yeah, some of their best albums, not some, all of their best albums yeah. have, have great solos. And I remember distinctly one of you know the, the things that everybody was saying was on St. Anger, they, uh, not St. Anger, some kind of monster album, there weren't any solos. It was yeah. just, you know, real stripped down, bare. Like you said, the snare drum was turned up way high which was odd for Metallica because up to that point, especially for like a 10-year run, the drum was mic'd real heavy yeah. and it hit real hard with, you know, with the heavy bass line. And, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden it was like you were, you were, at a, you were listening to someone play in their garage. Yeah. So that didn't go over well. When Death Magnetic came out, 
same type of thing. It was death magnetic. What death magnetic. Um, I think it was probably like six years later, seven years later. Yeah. yeah. And when I listened to it, it was good. Mm-hmm. Some of that was built around the fact that like it just wasn't bad. So you, exactly. when people were like, "This is great, Metallica's back," no, 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 and it was kind of like, "Eh." I think if you stack this up against their other ones, it's, it's still just it's very so-so, but it's just not as terrible as some kind of monster was. So we're getting a little worked up about stuff that are is really not that big of a deal. Yeah. The, the solos were cool. I'll tell you, if, if anybody who does listen to this and you, if you want to go about this too, the worst song, the worst song, and this is saying something on uh, some kind of monster, is Frantic. If you listen to oh, Frantic and you God. don't turn it off, <laughs> it's it's just too much. Like when he starts doing the frantic tick 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 uh, talk and his yeah, voice yeah, cracks, yeah. I remember like almost being like, <laughs> it's like I can't even really. It's like being told that like your brother's not actually related to you. Like you're so <laughs> disappointed and upset that you're like, oh man, James Hetfield just sounds worn out, man. And yeah. I would be too. If I was sitting around Lars Ulrich is screaming at me all the time. I'm trying to sober up. I'm making this crappy documentary for VH1. The best I can turn out is tick, 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 tock, and it's like, I'd, I'd be, I'd probably be pretty haggard too. But yeah, it's brutal. If anyone, yeah, if anyone who does listen to this wants to check something bad out, with all the time that we got, take a yeah. listen to Frantic. Brutal. Like yeah, if you want to listen to a good song, if you want to listen to a good album, check out the new Strokes one. The new abnormal, I think it's great. If you want to listen to a real shitty one, listen to some kind of monster. And I've thought about this a lot of how hard it would be to be in a band. Because as a comedian, when you're on the road and you're by yourself, that sucks. It can be really lonely. And it's very easy to think, God damn, that would be so sweet to have more of a band environment. You're out on the road with your friends. You're going to all these new cities. And I bet for a while it really is like that. But those bands that achieve any kind of acclaim, or even if they don't, but they just are at it for a while... That's got to be so hard because obviously the egos wear on you and there's all of those factors. You're tired. You're on the road still, which is exhausting, which like, you know, with basketball and even 3x3 at times. Um, But what's so interesting about it is that's your career. You want to be in it for the long haul, but it's really hard to... So much of music in a band, I think, is like the cool factor, if we're being honest. And... It's kind of sad, but when they start, that's kind of their most inspired stuff oftentimes. Like, you're young, you're angsty, you got this energy, even if it's just like early, mid-20s or whatever, and you have this energy that even as they get older and more proficient at their instruments and probably better songwriters, they lose that edge, which Mm -hmm. is so much of their appeal. So I don't know if there's anything cooler than a a band of four or five young people just going buck on their instruments with this energy. And I don't know if there's anything less cool than middle-aged guys still trying to look kind of cool. Um, and they're just not like, like think back to like the Eagles and how they looked in their, in their prime, like pretty cool looking dudes. And when they're older and even they're way better at their instruments, but they're just these nerds wearing jean jackets and like sports coats with ponytails and stuff. And you're like, Oh God, this is so lame. Like obviously it, the it's, it's velvet revolver. Yeah, like, yeah. When Velvet Revolver came out, initially you were like, okay, like this is like rock starish type stuff. Then you saw a picture of them. It's like their skin looks like leather, leather. Like it's like catcher's mitt back in the 1980s, and everyone's wearing like crazy leather pants. 
huge belt buckles. Scott Weiland's t-shirt like ends at like the middle of his chest. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like someone's wearing a sailor hat, and it's like, dude, you guys are like 48. Well, what the heck's going on here? Like it's just when it was those kind of things when you're looking at it, it's just like, man, what are these dudes thinking? And I know they're not thinking because, yeah. I mean, as, as sad as it is with what happened with Scott Weiland, you're not thinking. Like you're 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 either completely wasted, and these are the things that are making sense, and you're also clinging to like the idea of like, well, we're rock stars, man. We got to look like rock stars. Yeah, I think so lame. It, it's 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 a really tough thing. I, you know, the the days of when I can't even like, there aren't a lot of bands that you can point to or you can say these guys were able to handle success, handle celebrity, handle money, not. Yeah get into the realm of jealousy and resentment and still remain friends. Like the best parallel I can draw for three X three when people ask what it's like, is like, I imagine very much so that it's like being in a band. You're, you're traveling to all these different places. There's pressure to perform and you have a really small group of guys that are spending a large amount of time together and you can get it where all of a sudden you're just tired and you're just so maybe you're running thin on things to talk about and the result was bad and as fun as it can be and as the great as the highs can be the lows can be really frustrating as well where you're just like i don't even you know i don't even know what to really throw out in the group and i and and that's with us playing on the weekends i can only imagine if it was a type of thing where it's like hey you're playing every night yeah. For oh. the next six to eight weeks. God. And that's just the way it is. And you're traveling and you're away from home. And there's all these other different things factoring into it. So yeah, I think uh yeah, I think the, the music stuff is that's a whole that's a whole nother a whole nother monster to to yeah. try and figure out. That'd be a hard lifestyle, man, because if you're if you're a young group of friends and kids or whatever, like taking the Strokes again, for example, like they're all early 20s when this, Is This It came out and kind of blew up. And then you for the better part of a year, you're on the road nonstop drinking, doing drugs. Then the first thing you have to do when you get back is capitalize because you can't lose your momentum. So get back in the studio, pump out a new album, go do the exact same thing. So pretty much to say like three years is spoken for. No wonder these guys are going to hate each other after. And then when there are yeah. bands that stick together, like The Strokes or, say, Green Day, and I was a, that was my favorite band. And I still have a very, very soft spot for Green Day. And it's really cool that they've had the same lineup the whole time. But it's just that, that that's tough, man, because you don't want to imagine stop doing the thing you love. And that's music. But at the same time, literally, like, Billy Joe Armstrong's 48 now. And he's still coming out with trying to look this cool image, but you're just not anymore. And, but at the same time, you can't come out looking like a dad with tucked in polo shirt into some light jeans and no. like socks and sandals or something. So that's tough, man. It's easy to envy those guys, but at the same time, that just sounds like a nightmare in a lot of ways. And do you want, I, I was thinking a lot about that, about MJ. If you want to get mm-hmm. into the last dance of, uh, how hard that lifestyle has to be man like a friend of mine asked me this he's like would you want to be mj and i was like no mm. obviously that would be pretty great to be the best at whatever it is you do in the world of all time but 
That'd be great to have $2 billion in the bank. But holy shit, watching that last dance thing was so fun and so cool. But at, at certain points, I was like, God damn, like, is he a happy guy? Do you know what I mean? I, I think anyone would be interested in the highs yeah. where people are saying how great you are. You have the ability to have a command of the room and a command of re immediate respect from anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, but the middle stuff, like just the everyday things, uh, the, the lows, especially the inability to just be yourself of, you know, I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to go to the grocery store. Or I'm going to do any of these things that are just normal for us. I'm going to stop and get gas and not get mobbed. Yeah. That would be, I think any of the fun that you're having would probably get taken out of that after you say, okay, we're signing you up for this and you're going to do it for six months. You're going to do it for a year where your entire life, you have no privacy. You can't go anywhere. You're, you're not left alone. Everything you do wrong is called into question. And when you do things right, people are going to tell you that you're great. But in between all of that, I think you would just wear anybody down to a nub that the responsibility of being the most famous person in the world would just would just grind you up into a powder it's it's only yeah for a guy like how mj in the context that they made the last dance how mj handles it is is pretty impressive you do level with it from a life standpoint of you don't understand why he walked away from the game when he's at the height of his powers in 93 and then even 98 but you can't understand it even from a life perspective of he probably was just worn down to a nub yeah what did you think of the last uh the last two episodes and were you were you happy with how it ended because i i loved it and i don't know exactly what it was i of course loved the whole series and i thought it was really well done especially with the circumstances of them needing to edit the last episode during sure. the lockdown I don't know exactly what it was. I don't mean it as in like a critique, but it wasn't, I, I won't go as far as disappointed, but there was a certain sense of just like, eh, for me at the last one, because it's called The Last Dance. I don't know, maybe this has something to do with it. And it, it's interesting how they focus on the 97, 98 season throughout with the back and forth, but it kind of felt by the end of it for me, like their last finals with Utah and the finals before were like the least significant parts of it. Mm. You kind of know what I mean? You're not. I have heard that from other people that it, it felt a little anticlimactic that there yeah. was this build and then it was just, oh, it's done. Everybody yeah. went their separate ways and now the bull and then the bulls began their rebuild. You, we knew that there wasn't going to be any sort of thing of, and actually, Michael Jordan signed back and Phil Jackson stay tuned for part yeah. two of The Last Dance. Well, we know that. We knew yeah. how it ended. Um, I thought episode nine was great. The Reliving the Pacers series was fantastic. The jazz stuff was was interesting. There's and we'll we'll get to that a little in a little bit. Um, episode ten, yeah, I thought it was great to relive the the last game he played and and how he was so tired. All the minutes that he played. I mean, one of the stats that has been going around that is extremely impressive is in those last three seasons. He played 304 of a possible 304 games. That's so he's on his he's on his last leg. He's got no lift, 
and he just mentally figures out a way to be the continue to be the best player in the world and have this level of I don't know invincibility that just other guys couldn't have. Yeah. Um, so that part is interesting. I'll, I'll throw this out there, and I'll, I want to know what you think about it. I really liked Phil Jackson through this. You know, the hard part with Phil Jackson has been his thing with the Knicks was such a disaster. Yeah. Um, through the media in the last recent memory, he's been so grumpy and kind of snob yeah. in how he talks about things. You know, you insist on the triangle being run with players that can't run the triangle and coaches that don't really know how to run it. So just a train wreck there, the Lakers have, I really didn't care for his sum up in the last episode of, hey, you know, it's just better that this is that this is done. Um, we all kind of ride off into the sunset, and, and this is a great way to end. Phil Jackson's back in the league in a year. So clearly, yeah. like he just needed a break and a change of scenery, and I get how that would wear you down to a, you know, wear you down of you're done with Kraus, you don't want to do it again. They put their 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 level of disrespect for it with, well, we feel you've earned another shot, and it's like, well, did did the five titles you won before not earn him any shot? Yeah, at something more than a one year contract. But I also just didn't really like how he just said it's better that everyone rides off. Jordan retires, and in a year, Jackson's back in the league. And back yeah. in the league for a while. Like, it's not like he just came back for a minute, did something, and then... So how did you feel about that when he said, it's just better to end it this way? No, that's that's actually a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, it, it, it bothered me in the sense of just kind of like the selfish fan of wondering what could have been and all the what-ifs. Because I think there's two pretty interesting arguments to be made of if that team came back and it was a shortened lockdown season, maybe that worked to their advantage. But at the same time, that could really be a huge disadvantage to them because I'm pretty sure that that season was just packed in all the games so close and so tight that that would wear him down and who the hell knows what happened. So in a way, I think he's right that MJ leaving on a game-winning shot to win the finals, and this is disregarding the Wizards thing, that is just the most perfect picturesque way to finish the career of the greatest basketball player of all time with at that point, and there's debates to be made about it. The, what a lot of people are saying is the greatest coach of all time, this, that, and the other, but that's, that's a really good point actually, because there is a weird kind of air around Phil Jackson. And I'm glad I was reminded of how good of a coach he was because it's not really fair. It's things he can't help, but I've never let that stop me from disliking people before. Because when you see him now, he's kind of got that like squinty-eyed, smug smile all the time. And even if he's not saying anything smug, you just kind of look at him and you're like, what a dick. Um, but back then, he just seemed like more of a just kind of out there guy with a different way of thinking and a different approach to the game, which is really cool. So it's easy to look at his kind of demeanor now. And yeah, that just absolute shit show of a stint he had with the Knicks and be like, this guy's a clown. So I was really, I was really psyched to remember like, Oh, this guy was a boss, but that, that it is frustrating. It's kind of, it's kind of like the Scotty Pippen thing we talked about last week of, we can't understand unless we walk a mile in their shoes. But when Scotty does the whole thing, when he sits out, 
and quits on the teams like, yeah, I wish it didn't happen. Wouldn't change a thing, though. Like, what the hell does that mean? And then if you're Phil Jackson, just like, no, nah, it was the right time to go. And then you hear Michael saying, no, it wasn't the right time to go. We should have kept going. And at the very beginning of the series, when MJ is saying the whole, if you win a championship, it's your right to defend it. Mm-hmm. Like, what happened to that mentality? Um, so, not I, I hadn't thought about that, honestly, but I wouldn't disagree agree with you i wasn't frustrated watching it i was just a little bit more like man these guys are in a whole other world than me because i just can't fathom that line of thinking and you're right it's not like phil jackson just rode off into the sunset and lived in montana for the rest of his years he won another five titles with the lakers yeah and it's not like he won five in a row he was around for a long time yeah so no when you put it that way i, I wouldn't argue with you man it is a little bit as a basketball and who with MJ as the goat to just be even more conclusive than I already think it is. That would have been sweet to see him around a little bit longer what they could have done. Do you think if they do come back, and this is like the lowest hanging fruit possible, I know everyone and their dog is, is trying to figure this out. Jackson, for some reason, says, okay, I'll come back. That means Jordan comes back. They figure out some sort of way to appease Pippen. If they come back in a shortened lockout season, do they win a seventh championship? I don't know, man. Like, MJ was so tired at the end of that series. Understand, because he was 35 or 36. I'm sure he would have had another at least year of being a really damn good basketball player. Because it's not like, obviously, he wasn't the guy winning the dunk competition. But there's clips from him off two feet. He's still dunking on guys. Mm-hmm. He still has a lot of pep in his step, and he talks about it, how it was the most kind of gratifying season for him because he just mentally figured it out so much, and his skill kind of got to a whole other level. So my initial instinct is like, yeah, of course they would. The East was so bad because I think the Knicks were the eighth seed, and yeah. they went to the finals. Yeah. But San Antonio was really goddamn good, and yeah. David Robinson – was so I think people forget because and I forgot too being a little bit that being a little bit before my time as an avid basketball fan it's easy to just think of Tim Duncan as a staple of Spurs but David Robinson was a monster and I don't know how the Bulls with that lineup I don't know if Rodman can stop David Robinson or Tim Duncan for four games and I don't know if Luke Longley or Bill Wennington is going to come in and stop the other dude. I think that would have been a really hard series for the Bulls. And I just think it's easy to say because it's MJ. Oh, yeah, they're they're going to – of course they're going to win. They got they got MJ. But I don't know, man. I, yeah. I my, my heart says yeah, but my mind is like, no, nah, I think the Spurs would honestly have won that. What do you think? Similar to what you said, I think that it's been said on some things, but in thinking back – reading some of the old Sports Illustrated articles. I mean, Rodman was, if he wasn't on his way out in 97, which is what it sounded like everybody thought back then anyway, he was definitely on his way out after 98. I mean, he did his Lakers thing the following season. I'm pretty sure that lasted 20 games. (laughs) And then he was gone. I mean, the guy was like such a distraction, such a pain in the ass that I think at this point it's safe to assume if Jackson had come back and Jordan had come back and they were able to figure it out with Pippen, the odds of Rodman being there are nil. So who fills that spot? 
And yeah. that's where it gets really difficult because if you go into the playoffs and you wind up having a Spurs team that is a really bad matchup for the Bulls, where they have Robinson, they have a young Duncan, you know, they have Sean Elliott, yeah. they're they're a pretty they're a pretty tough team. The lockout shortened season where they're packing in a ton of games in a short amount of time, and then they're having this grinded out playoffs where you're playing every second day. It would be it would have been really tough. And then in the same breath, you go, yeah, but are you really going to be dumb enough or are you really going to be foolish enough to say I'm going to pick against Michael Jordan when there's really no reason presented yet? Yeah. When he's when he's really locked in to say, yeah, it's a good bet to bet against Michael Jordan. So yeah. I'm in a similar boat to you. It would have been very difficult to pull off. I have a hard time betting against betting against MJ. It's and yeah, you know, obviously we'll never know. But when people do get a little bit too of like, well, you know, it was a young guy league in '99. Like so much had changed in a year, which is not yeah. true. And that Knicks team. They were an ace seed. They were an ace seed for a reason. They got yeah. hot at the right time. I remember they had that really good series with Miami where Houston hit a game winner. They had a little bit of the small ball thing going because Ewing got hurt. So it was Spreewell and Houston and Larry yeah. Johnson. The Bulls couldn't have beat them. Like, yeah. I'm having a, I have a hard time buying that. So, you I know, agree. who knows? It's a fun debate. Yeah. I think it's it for the be best that we didn't find out, honestly, because it's kind of that... We, it's the most cinematic ending. Exactly. And, and, and also, it's it's similar to what we're talking about with, like, music. Uh, a lot of the what-ifs, it's best we just don't know. Like, Nirvana, say, for example, obviously, it's not best Kurt Cobain shot himself. I don't want to well, make it ideal. sound like that. Not ideal. Could have ended better. But... Who knows what happens if they keep plugging along? Does it become the thing where Dave Grohl gets the boot and it just becomes this another rotation of drummers and their next album sucks? And if the Beatles stay together through the 70s and they come out with just this trash disco yeah. album, they've all got their mullets now and look terrible. Like you, It's just better in a lot of ways to look back and you can debate and think about the what ifs. But I think it's for the best in a weird, sad way, given the circumstance, because it, it makes absolutely no sense that they broke up that team. It's unfathomable. And when Scottie Pippen, which I thought was really nice and classy of him, that he mentioned Jerry Krause was the best GM. No, he's not. If, not if you're breaking up that team, you are immediately not the best GM, and it's you're out of contention instantly. But I think you're right on everything. And the Rodman thing especially, I don't, I don't want to make it like, I got a bone to pick with Dennis. But I do think he got a pretty favorable edit at the end when he's, when he's skipping out and going to do – rodzilla with the nwo which i loved it was hilarious yeah. like what the hell was happening back then he's just showing up wearing pajama pants smoking a stogie in the middle of the ring and cuts to them sitting on the couch and bischoff's just yucking it up with hulk hogan and dennis rodman but let's not forget i know he was a defensive player but his big highlight and contribution is he grabbed a few rebounds and they're like oh he made free throws even though he skipped practice an NBA player made free throws. And I think it was kind of made for us to be like, whoa, that's insane. Like, no, not really. It was a free throw that he made. And when you look at the stats, which I don't have right in front of me, but it's not like he was still averaging 15 rebounds a game then. No, it was he, it was 
maybe we'll see or yeah yeah he's either going to grab a ton of boards and be focused or he's going to do something stupid and probably take himself out of the game in the first three minutes and i will say it's just so funny again the 90s i don't know if this could ever happen again but you look oh and the, sorry the other thing i was gonna say which leads to that is defensively it it's not like he shut down malone because i feel like people often make it out like that and they're saying the scores like other than the stinker game where they had 54 points malone was dropping damn near 40 on them so we can't make it out like Dennis was like he was in the early 90s and just in Malone's head. It was just, no, the Bulls were just a better team than the Jazz. Mm-hmm. And it still went to six games. But how funny it is that Dennis Rodman was in WCW for a while. And then, for people who don't know, that Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone wrestled each other, against each other. That's just, that's almost the most poetic finish to this that you go from. You go from uh, going for an NBA championship, and then you settle it like real men. There were all the those ring. rumors back then that WCW had told them to sell their match, that they have to have some sort of dust-up in in the game. So when they do yeah. that little exchange where Malone falls and Rodman does like the Rodman special where he like gets yeah. up right in the face and is like hanging on to you and you get pushed again. <laughs> so... Who knows if that's actually true? It's not hard to think that it could be, considering that these guys were getting a ton of money dumped on them by WCW to show up at a pay-per-view, and really? they wanted people to watch. I, I watched that, that Nitro episode, and I remember that when Rodman showed up and then hit um, DDP with the chair so at the end of the episode. It's, it was so funny, because it was just... You don't know back then, like, I wonder if he's skipping practice. Like, you're, you're thinking <laughs> he's probably just, you know, taking a day off. Bulls probably said, go ahead, man, have some fun. No, he just left. He put his Zumbas on, and he got on a plane, and he went to wherever they were filming that episode. And, yeah, him and Malone had, like, probably, and this is saying something for anyone who used to follow wrestling in the 90s with WCW, had one of the worst matches maybe of all time. Um, yeah, I watched that episode, and then I, I watched that pay-per-view. That pay-per-view, someone, a friend of mine paid for that, and we watched that, and it was a train wreck. Like It was oh, just man. a train wreck. I but, remember being too young to know that and just thinking, still thinking wrestling was real. Yeah. And I was just like, that's awesome. Like, good for Carl, sticking up for his friend DDP. Settling this like real men getting in the squared circle, getting shirtless, putting on some sparkly purple pants. But I just choose to believe that they did that in the game. Like if I'm Carl Malone and Bishop calls me up, he's like, hey, man, I want you to set up the match. I'm like, Dennis, just put me in a sharpshooter at half court in the fourth quarter. I don't care, man, because that is just so funny. That could have happened. And what a simpler time. Um What do you this is kind of changing it, but I I was just really curious because we're kind of critiquing if you will episode 10 and then there was horace grant's big old critique what did you make of that for those if you those are listening that didn't see essentially horace grant just said it's all bullshit he was really pissed that michael jordan used his name on the sam smith the jordan rules book and just said factually oh yeah that was horace grant that gave him all that information horace grant was really pissed saying he absolutely did not he's really mad michael would call him a snitch and then the thing he a few people have gone back to but he goes back to is way back in the day and on tv he's talking about his rookie year all these guys are doing cocaine and smoking and drinking beers at halftime so who's the real snitch what what did you 
what did you think of that? Did were you like, yeah, good point, or were you like, Horace, shut up? I I think it's a fair point to bring up. I know Craig Hodges had had a, had a quote on that too, and doesn't nearly carry as much weight because Craig Hodges can't get a cameo in this thing. He's not even like yeah. in a, he's not even in a clip of a game. And he from, won a championship, right? Yeah, he won a championship, but he won three 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 point shootout. Three three-point shootouts at All-Star Weekend in a row. So like Craig Hodges was a part of that was a part of that Bulls team that won their first title and was like a contributor. I don't even and that think was he's saw... coach in Halifax. We gotta we gotta make sure we make that reference. Oh yeah, I have some experiences with Craig. He was uh, he's he's a he's a character. So <laughs> they but like you didn't even see him in a clip. You can't tell me that's that's not on purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think anyone who's going to watch this is going to say, well, this is just Jordan's version. Well, guess what? That's the version we're going to only get because in order to see any of this and in order to get any of MJ's thoughts, it's going to be his version. So the alternative is nothing. Is that better? You know, I mean, I, I thought it was strange that MJ said, oh, well, that was Horace. And I was like, oh, that's definitely a throw a guy under the bus thing, especially if it's debatable on whether or not it was. Like, if this is ironclad fact that everybody knows that Horace Grant talked to Sam Smith and told him the stuff that was going on in the locker room, then that's something different. But if it's even debatable, then that's a pretty that's a pretty harsh line to take with a guy that you just toss him under and say, like, yeah, it was him. Um, I think in order to show properly and this is me with I've been wearing Michael Jordan glasses before this completely during this and now more so after in order to set the stage properly on the Bulls were crappy when Michael Jordan showed up it's not like the Bulls were this established dynasty legacy franchise like the Celtics or the Lakers where Jordan was stepping in and he was just the next guy to take the baton and run with it. It was a real, it was a bad organization with bad players that weren't committed to being professionals. I think in order to make it intriguing, you had to say that. That yeah, in, in the 1980s, guys were in the NBA and they were doing drugs. Like guys yeah. in the NBA were like openly using cocaine. Now I'm sure that's not happening now. Yeah, right. But yeah. at the same time, <laughs> this was a big problem in the league. And now you had a guy that came in and wasn't going to do that and wasn't going to be about it and was more about, I'm just going to play and earn my spot and be the best player on this team. I'm sure if you want to, if you want to throw one guy under the bus, then it's easier for that guy to turn around and say, Hey man, well, you just did the same thing. Sure. But at the same time though, I don't really, uh, as a viewer, think, well, that was that was too much that Jordan did it because it, it made it more interesting. It yep. was it set the stage for what was going on. The Horace thing, if it's not true, that's probably yeah, that's not a good it's not a good take from Michael, especially if Horace actually didn't do it. Um, but what can you do? I mean, it's yeah. it, it's part of it now, and we knew that the version we were going to get was going to be MJ. So if he does think it was Horace, unfortunately, like that's just what's going to be in the, in the last dance. Yeah, I agree. Cause I think he, I think in, in a way it was like good for Horace, man, like stick up for yourself, speak your mind. Don't just because he's Michael Jordan, he's been labeled like this total demigod by people like me. Don't just be like, well, he said it. So I, I can't, 
dispute it. No, if it's not true or you take issue with it, that's cool. He did it. I think some of his points of like, this isn't even a real documentary. It's like, well, no, it's still a documentary. Um, I think he's more so referring to it as like, it's not real journalism where, yeah, it's, it's not journalism. This is a documentary. Michael Jordan's not a journalist. The guy who made it, I don't think is a journalist. He's a filmmaker. So we didn't need to get it from this journalistic viewpoint that's just as subjective and unbiased as possible. It's clearly biased. Michael Jordan has creative input and final say in it. And he's the essentially it's just a Michael Jordan documentary. It's and the bulls are kind of a side plot to it. So I I thought it was it was in a weird way cool that he stuck up for himself, but at the same time, it's just like, yeah, I would rather see this very biased at times shows MJ is pretty flawed, but at least it's real. And at yeah. least we got a saw it. I mean, in ter- real in the sense of we got a very real sense of MJ's personality, I believe. And clearly he has no issue throwing people under the bus. He has no issue talking shit oh. about people. And I don't think he was entirely truthful about everything. Like when he talked about the Isaiah Thomas thing, like I never used this name. It's like, I don't believe that I have no grounds. I haven't seen the the transcript of those meetings so i don't want to pretend like i got the inside scoop but yeah there were certain things where i'm like yeah that's probably not true or i mentioned this before when he's talking about gary payton and i had no problem with gary payton like no gary payton played good defense on him in the final so clearly mj has he's a stubborn dude but that's what made him what he is in some ways so i'll take it and if Horace Grant gets thrown under the bus, hey, man, fair enough he spoke his mind and got his little bit of revenge i do think in some way or another MJ's going to get his revenge. I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know if Horace is just going to wake up and in a gym and he's going to be playing on one-on-one with Michael unbeknownst to him or something, but I'm sure yeah. MJ will get his. But yeah, no, I, I thought it was really interesting and I thought he had some fair points, but there were some times where I was just like, eh, I don't care. Whatever. Glad I saw it. Yeah, Horace definitely made the list with this one where... Oh, he's on the list. Yeah, yeah Horace is on the list now. It's all, all the motivation. It's all the motivation that MJ needs. Um, I agree. It is too bad. I do feel like they glossed over that Horace Grant was good. Yeah. And that he was probably better than Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The more I watch this and I'm, I, I, I agree with you that Rodman got a really nice edit in this. And that was probably the only way he was going to participate. Yeah. Like if they said like, Hey man, we're going to dump on you and like, you're not going to like this, then you're not going to get an interview with him. So I thought he got a really good, really good edit. I remember being in junior high and the Rodman thing being at its peak with his shoes that had the zipper and his book that came out as bad as I want to be. And I remember feeling like, okay, he's interesting to a point and he clearly does have these, levels where when he is focused he's able to do these incredible things his best attribute is that he's an extreme agitator i was never wild about dennis rodman like i he wasn't he didn't really give you anything outside of the rebounding stuff and when he was locked in on that it was cool but the other times when he was just a pest it's like it's just kind of getting in the way of the stuff that i enjoy watching so i'm glad they didn't focus on him too much they yeah. did the one thing, which was probably the, the episode I enjoyed the least, where they talked about him, I think, in episode three or episode yeah. four. That was the one that's probably at the bottom of my list because it's like, okay, the Rodman thing again. Oh, no one understands me. Oh, I dated Madonna. Right. It's like, well, that's great, man. Cool. 
heard it like 50 times. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think the best player piece they had was Steve Kerr. That was great. His that none of that was secret. It wasn't like this was the big reveal. I, I, I'm I'd be curious how many people didn't know that about Kerr that his dad was murdered. Um, but I, I thought that was the best player piece that they did. I thought it was the most well timed, uh, given what they connected it to of him hitting the shot in the '97 Finals. Yeah. Um, that episode I th- I felt is was as good as it was because that piece was a part of it. Yeah. Um, and Kerr is just like I don't know. If you don't like Steve Kerr, then you're you're really got something going on with you because he's he's about as likable a guy and comes off with as a person just being extraordinarily kind and and likable. Super humble. Yeah, very humble, self-deprecating, while also pointing out that I had to work my ass off and fight yeah. for everything that I got in the league, and that was just enough to give me a shot. Like. Yeah. Just enough to make it. I it really interesting. I really like that. Sorry. No, I, I agree. Uh, the two things I was saying is I agree with everything on Rodman because the one I'm, I'm forgetting her name, but she was an ESPN pundit. She said Dennis Rodman's bad boy character was very carefully cultivated. So it's pretty irritating. You see a celebrity trying so hard to be a badass, but then playing like, oh, nobody gets it. I just want to be left alone. Like, then stop manufacturing this image so hard. And I'm sure that is him. He's clearly a different dude, but he would just be a nightmare right now. He'd be like the Kyrie Irving in the he sense of like, po- but just constantly posting shit on Instagram, trying to get attention. And then when people give it attention, being upset, like, oh, I'm just trying to live my life. Can't you just let me be? I'm just, I'm the different souls. Like, ah, shut up. Then stop promoting it. So I, I agree with you on the Rodman thing. I don't dislike Rodman, but I'm not a big Rodman fan either. I appreciate what he did, but more so like his cultural impact and how ahead of his time he was. But Steve Kerr, is, his was much more interesting for me. But I, I do think it's important to remember there the, there's the really diehard basketball fans that are watching this. Just like, okay, I already knew all that Rodman stuff. Let, let, let's speed up. But a lot of people have no idea. A lot of people I've spoken to have been like, man, I had no idea Rodman was that out there. How was that even possible back in the night? So I think for a casual fan, it was really cool. And we have to remember, a lot of people just didn't know any of this stuff. Like, I had some friends that, like, I had no idea Michael Jordan's dad was murdered. So <laughs> a lot of this is new to them. But the Steve Kerr thing... For me, it was interesting because being, I guess, the closest thing right now that to that Bulls coaching the Warriors, and you see him so much, and the same reason a lot of people kind of had enough of MJ. It's like, oh, this fucking guy again. Everywhere I look, and I'm not a huge Warriors fan. I respect the hell out of what they did, but I also, I, I just don't care for him. And seeing Steve Curry, I was kind of like, oh, God. Everywhere I go, I have to see something about the goddamn Warriors. But then remembering he has a great story. And like you said, just seems like such a nice dude, down to earth, very humble, self-deprecating, which is great. But I really like the the storyline of Paxson took him under his wing, little point guard who hit a big shot, takes Steve Kerr under his wing, and then he becomes the point guard who hits a big shot. It's just, it's pretty poetic. And I thought that was a really, I, I agree. I think of all the player profiles that was probably the most well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was. It drove home an important point too that Paxson helped Kerr understand 
the same way that he had to learn it, that in order to be successful in the NBA with this team, he was going to be a role player. Yeah. Now, I don't think anybody ever took had a take on John Paxson, like, look, if it wasn't for Michael, John would have been averaging 22 a game. It wasn't going to be like that. So I think that's a critical thing to point out because Kerr says it too and takes it a step further of when, when you're playing, when you're struggling and you're playing poorly and you're getting three shots, five shots, the level of importance that are placed on those shots are like, it's, it's, it's immense. Like it, it's through the roof of you miss one, you miss two. And it's like, man, I, I might not get another. So yeah. to find success in that is really challenging. It's not the same as having the ball in your hands all the time. Yeah. It's not the same as knowing that whatever happens to I'm going to shoot it 20 times. I'm going to touch it a ton. Tying into what it is like to be a player now where we get into the realm of, well, how do we, how do we find success in basketball? Well, we train and we prepare and, and we, we get ready for whatever's coming next. Okay, but how do we do that? We all train with the ball in our hands. We all work on, you know, moves where we're clearly allowed to hold on to the ball for a long time. And just how realistic is that? Yeah. Where you see yeah. like, hey, one team's got the, got the alpha. Usually the guy that's like the big dog, like MJ was in this case. Then you got your Pippin. And then after that, it's anyone's guess what you're going to get. And I thought it was great they pointed out that Paxson and Kerr were able to carve out long careers in the NBA, successful careers in the NBA, because they had enough self-awareness to go, I'm going to be successful if I support my best players. And I get yeah. to my spots and I'm able to make something happen with a very short leash. I'm not getting a lot. I'm not getting 15 shots and I can shoot my way out of it. So for Kerr, he's able to make a career out of that and then leave the Bulls and go to the Spurs and continue to see success being a role player. Yeah. And yeah, the guy won for, four championships in a row as a player. Yeah. So and then he's won a bunch as a coach. Like that, that's pretty incredible. So for the, like to finish the thought, I, I for anyone watching to see, like, it's it's tough to be the guy, like, everyone can see. It's tough to be the guys that support the guy because you're just not getting the same type of time with the ball, the same type of crack, and you have to stay mentally engaged and focused on doing your job when your job is much, much different. So I really felt they did a good job of capturing that with Kerr and yeah. showing that, hey, he's still in the gym shooting. He's still in the gym putting in his time. It's not that he cares any less. It's not that yeah. he's any less competitive. It's just this is the skill set he has, and this is what he has to do to be successful. And you're fooling yourself if you think that these guys can't play and these guys aren't good at what they do because that's the reason they're there. Their way of staying there is just very different than, uh, than a guy like Jordan or a guy like Pippen. That's a good point. I'm glad you said that because it's – easy to just not really acknowledge how it's hard to be a role these player. role player yeah and a bench player and these guys who are like the guys who don't even get off the bench they still have to bust their ass at practice if especially if you're with a guy like michael jordan and you don't reap the rewards of that necessarily that doesn't sound that fun it's easy to be like yeah i'd love to sit on the bench and make good money that's really hard because these guys still love the game and they still play really hard and that's that's or actually they work really hard at their game, even though they don't get to really showcase it. So that, that's that's a really good point. And also back then, especially when games were 84 to 78, 
and scoring was so much more. I don't. I was gonna say. Is it that the defense was better or the offense wasn't as good? Or is that too black and white? It might be too black and white. For when you watch these games, you, you see like just how much of the game was played below the free throw line. Yeah. Like the Jazz, when they have their when they have their clips, and if you watch any of the stuff that's been replayed on TV, like they, they run a pin down just to throw it back into Carl. They do one of those cross screens to bring them to the block. And then entry pass, but like these four guys are just murdering each other underneath to set yeah. one screen to bring a guy for a post up. Shooting threes was, you could see the Bulls were starting to get into it where Kerr's on the floor, Kukoc is on the floor, you have shooters in the corner to space it for a guy like Jordan to create and have room to operate. It still is nothing like it is now. I mean, like if Steve Kerr played in the NBA now, he'd shoot 12 threes a game. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's strange to watch a guy like him. Not strange. It's it's amazing to see a guy like him succeed in an era like that when his strength still hadn't been moved into position of being a focus of the yeah. NBA. So I, I just think the pace of the game was slower. Yeah. Um, the guys who were the top players on the team weren't running gun guys. weren't guys that came down and just jacked up shots like Carl Malone would have probably rip somebody's head off if oh, some was dude joked. was running down and like just jacking threes and he's not getting any touches. So yeah, yeah he would have killed you. The so physique. it's, uh, I think it's just, it's just, you know, coming out of that era. And plus also too, like we mentioned before, guys are tired. Like these guys are a little bit older at this point. The durability, this is a good segue into this. The durability of these guys in this era is amazing. Like the Jordan thing of, of not missing a game, a single game. That's insane. In three years. But you can also tie it to the other guys who were good in this era as well. And Stockton and Malone are the best examples of this. They, they were the same. They didn't miss yeah. any games. They always yeah. played. Guys were playing hurt. This whole idea of, of, of load management now and how guys just like certain dudes and people on Twitter that like just get off with like, oh, Michael sat games in the 80s. And it makes... Load management. It's like yeah. the best players you could tell were willing to get hurt and were willing to hurt themselves further to play, yeah. which I do feel like that is a critical part of being a great player is you are willing to go out there and play hurt. Pippen did that in the in the game six clips. All the other stuff that Pippen had had in previous episodes, all of a sudden it's like, oh, Pippen's the best teammate in the world. He's out there with a horrible back and he's hobbling yeah. around. And he's doing it because he knows his team needs him. The durability of the athletes during this era where they were playing so much and the schedule was harder. And they, it, it's just it's impressive to see that Malone and Stockton and MJ and, and, and even Pippen in that last game, these guys are not rested. These guys are not wow. probably at their peak. And there is a huge mental component to this of just how tough these guys were of being able to play night in and night out and still understand that. I was like, this is my job. I'm not asking to yeah. be commended for it. It's just my job. Yeah, man, that is bonkers. Cause I don't think I, I can't uh, even fathom playing that many games, 82 games in a regular season. Then however many it takes with best of uh, best of five and best of seven series 
leading up to the finals. That's so many games, and it's hard. Even when I play in college, the games were just Friday and Saturday. I think we played 24 regular season games, had some preseason stuff, probably a holiday tournament, and then playoffs. You could get up to like 35 games, and you're playing twice a week. And it's really hard to play every game. Like, it's hard to not get injured, even if you're taking care of yourself. I had tons of injuries that I couldn't help, and I'd always have to sit out at least one week. And when I inevitably dislocated my shoulder eight times or something, but to do that every year consistently, that's insane. And 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 the other thing that's wild is they had good training, but they didn't have the training they have now. So yeah. I do think a lot of it just comes down to grit and toughness. I don't want to do the whole oh, back in the nineties just knew what it meant to battle and. These loser millennial players. I'm not trying to do that. I don't know exactly what it is, but I don't think you can undervalue how tough those guys are. Like you said Stockton. He's this little dude, but he's a tough little bastard. I know that was one of his best things throughout his career. He's, he barely ever slash never got injured. So that's a good point, man. I think I think that's something we don't appreciate nearly enough just as casual fans. I think for whatever reason we can – look at you like, oh, yeah, it's their job. Like, yeah, it is their job, but you still have to be fit to do it and do it at a high level. That's why these guys are in the finals of the best league in the world. I think you're right on on that. So with the flu game mm. or the food poisoning game, so it, it ages incredibly well because if anyone's ever been sick to that degree where you've been throwing up all night, even just getting out of bed, you kind of expect to get a standing ovation from someone. It's just an <laughs> incredible accomplishment. Here's one thing that was strange to me, though. When Grover told the story of there's five guys at the door delivering the pizza, it's a little bit weird. Does that imply that somebody said, hey, man, um, when they called up the pizza spot and said, we'd like to order a pizza. Oh, okay, who's it for? Uh, Michael, Jordan. Yeah. And it's like... You guys said that Michael Jordan wanted a pizza in Salt Lake City? I wondered that, too. Like, I wondered that, too. Why would anybody tell anybody, that, like, hey, we're ordering this pizza for MJ? <laughs> yeah. What? Why would you say that? So I wondered the same guys thing. In the room. Like, just say, like, hey, man, I'd like to order a pizza. My name's Kim Grover. Like, yeah. I know Grover trains MJ, but it's not like people are hanging all over his edges of, like, you know, I wonder if Grover is going to call tonight. And it's like... I just I couldn't believe that where it was like they knew it was MJ that they were delivering it to like now maybe if they know it's going to a certain hotel and yeah they have to go to a certain room that they can figure it out I still found it strange that someone just didn't say like hey man I'd like a pizza my name's Doug I'll meet you in yeah. the lobby like I wondered the same thing my my only theory is possibly they it's late. And like, all right, he needs to get this right away. And so they call, like, hey, man, like, this is for Michael Jordan. Let's make this snappy. Make this pizza good. So they can be like, oh, shit, we can't disappoint MJ instead of being like, all right, well, we're going to kill him move, now. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. And I, I just thought that it, it's an incredible it's an incredible story. The game and what he did speaks for itself. And that, like, really iconic image of when he kind of just collapses into Pippin's yeah. arms. That's so cool. But I just thought it's kind of a funny story and how stone-faced and serious everyone is when they're just talking about, like, they're just hanging out for sure, just listening to MJ talk. And then they just they just have like five guys just watch MJ eat a whole pizza, probably in silence. And they're probably doing the whole like, oh, oh, oh great bite, MJ. No one bites like you, MJ. That is unbelievable. Are you going to eat that whole pizza, MJ? Unbelievable. I just thought, pizza, like, MJ? Yeah. <laughs> so I just thought that was 
yeah, the, the, the whole you get five guys to come. Because I also thought an easy explanation is maybe if they did say it's Michael Jordan, they're like, hey, man, I'm sending this to Michael Jordan. And I'd do that. Call up a few boys like, do you want to come up with me and yeah. see if it's MJ? I don't know if it was, yeah, some guy that the Salt Lake Don Vito Corleone sent. And they did a hit on MJ because they put some, like, poison Tabasco sauce on it or something like that. That was a really weird story to me. And I just thought the setup of it was hilarious. It's midnight. MJ's probably horribly playing the piano. He's like, hey, man, let me get some pizza. So Tim Grover sprints over, orders it, then just watches him eat the pizza. I, I don't know why. I just thought it was very funny. I think it's a great story because tampering with something – I mean, one, you don't even really want to think, like, well, how did they poison it? It's not like, like everyone has, like, who works at a pizza place, like, they have a poison guy on speed Got the vial, yeah, the vial of poison. Yeah, from I'm, I know a guy, I know a guy, he'll poison Like the Indiana us. Jones dude, they just have the guy with poison and then the guy with the antidote yeah. at every pizza store <laughs> in Salt Lake. Antidote, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I think, um, I wondered about that, too. It's a great story, it's an incredible story. It is. It just doesn't really make any sense that someone was like, uh, can I get a name for that? Oh, yeah, Michael. Last name? <laughs> uh, Jordan. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> no, don't, don't leave your name, you idiot. So no, no. Think of a fake name. Think of a fake name. Think of a fake name. Uh, just let's go Michael J. Uh, that's too yeah. obvious. Uh, M. Jordan. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just, I didn't get that. It just, it didn't make any sense to me. Um yeah. The result of it is like one of the greatest stories of the NBA yeah. that the NBA has. It's a, like Jordan finishes that game, and I, I turned to Kate and I was like, Jordan's Maximus. Like, yeah. he's like, the music's playing. He's like crouched over. He's been stabbed by Commodus, and he's like still able to, <laughs> to win the battle and like liberate Rome. And <laughs> it's like, but like, you look at the guy and you're like, who else could do this? Like, if someone went in, I remember I had food poisoning in college we went and ate at this place that we did pregame meals at and i ate a plate of like chicken wings and lasagna and i remember like even after i was like that was bad and i threw up like same type of thing threw up all night sick as a dog and we played eastern washington the next day um went to shoot around same thing cold sweat like shaking shake like just shaking the entire time yeah i don't do shoot around and I'm expecting someone to be like, you know, what do you want to do? Because I wanted to play. It was our first conference game. We were playing Eastern. They had Rodney Stuckey, who wound up going to the NBA. Right. They were good, and it was an important game for us. And I was like, I want to play. And if they would have probably told me, like, well, you're not going to, I would have been like, well, I, I want to, but I, I can't, you obviously can't force them. You clearly yeah. don't have the, the MJ pull. Yeah. Um, and I wound up playing, I think, about 20-some minutes. I, I remember this. I scored 10 points. I don't remember much of the game outside of the couple shots I hit, and that Stucky had 40 on us. Um, <laughs> but after the game, I remember, like, we won the game. I needed to play in it. I was thrilled with myself that I was like, you played and you played good. Yeah. I didn't have 38, and I oh, wasn't man. playing in Delta Center, and it wasn't the NBA Finals. But if anyone's played sick, they know just how – Yeah how horrible that is where you didn't sleep the night before you can't hold anything down. You're completely dehydrated. Your mind is racing to the weirdest stuff. Yeah. 
And then you got to go on the game and guard somebody, remember assignments, remember the plays, make the right reads, and not just collapse. So yeah. it's a story that I think as it goes, the MJ mystique will just become bigger and bigger, and this is a huge Absolutely. part of it. Well, in, the me- in a messed up way, it's the best thing that could have happened to him because that's such a go-to argument for him being the greatest is who else could do that? It's not to diminish everything else he did, but if he does that game just, you know, feeling right as rain, it's like, cool, but this adds a whole other element of just the toughness and just, like you said, he's he's Maximus Decimus Meridius. Like, yeah, for sure in timeouts, he was just blacking out and seeing his hand grazing like the Italian countryside yeah, wheat or something. A lot, a lot of wheat. In, yeah, because yeah. he was just floating with his eyes closed above above the earth. Um, no, it, it's totally true. And I, I never had an experience like that. But yeah, I've had instances where you just don't feel one. Well, you come out with like a big sense of accomplishment, whether you just kind of played it all or had an especially good game, all things considered. I can't believe I didn't have more of that because thinking about the pizza, this is just pathetic. In my college days, being a college athlete – on the road, we would often stop at Boston Pizza for the pregame meal like two and a half hours before where we just smash like a lasagna or their giant idea. And then after on our way home, and this is if we had home games, I would literally just put a delicio pizza in the oven and eat half of it. And then after our postgame meal they gave us was Panago Pizza in my fourth and fifth year as the vet, I would just eat an entire pizza by myself and that's just so pathetic to think i was a college athlete and that was our idea of like that's reasonable nutrition it's not surprised we weren't we were doing it, but everybody bathroom. does that everybody does that. pathetic well, what do you think what do you bathroom. think is the edmonton equivalent to someone in salt lake city poisoning michael jordan's pieces say michael jordan is in edmonton <laughs> and he's playing I don't know, the Edmonton Jazz. He's for playing the for the Stingers. He's playing yeah, he's he's playing coming this... back. To flip off Horace Grant, he's coming back to play for the Stingers this summer to yeah. win a championship. So what's the equivalent of someone in Edmonton gets a phone call that Michael Jordan wants a pizza and his team is oh. going to... Who, who, what is what is what is it? no doubt in my mind. Go? It begins and ends with MJ's... Yeah, MJ's staying at the Hotel McDonald. 11.30, can't sleep, gets a little hungry. He calls up Phil over at Steel Wheel. Phil's a devout, uh, Phil's a ringer for the Saskatchewan team. So they get an inside guy. Oh, and they don't even poison it. They just give him pizza. I was going to say, if they just give him pizza from Steel Wheel, MJ has to fight through I, I pizza from Phil's. Yeah, it's a conspiracy. That probably would happen. He's ordering from, like, Domino's. Or something, uh, maybe Famoso if he's if Grover's feeling a little pretentious, yeah. and then they're just like, you know what, screw this guy. We have a guy from Swift Current, and he can't see the Stingers win another title, so they just they just kibosh an order from Steel Wheels, get him a little bulgogi pizza, and Michael's on the pot for the next forty eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think there's some there's some places in the city that would just make their regular pizza, and Michael would be facing just as much adversity. Donair pizza from yeah or the, the big adversity was he went to pick it up himself at steel wheel and he didn't get to leave because some of the owner was talking at him for three <laughs> hours into the night about his golf swing <laughs> i love the scenes where they talk about that scene's great and then um i really like when he comes down and he's feeling all chipper at shoot around 
And he saw him, like, had a few beers this morning, a couple cigars, played the piano. And there's a part of me that's like, does this bastard, is he musically gifted too? No. Like, is there anything this guy can Then it goes up to him, just like a five-year-old, clinking on the high keys on the piano. But he also has 30 guys around him just yeah. yucking it up. Loving it. <laughs> and you know that that's the stuff that made it in. Michael brings all those groupies and hangers on that are like, yeah. Total guys just like laying out for him, um, all sitting around the piano, like you know they all got a, like a Miller Light, and there's that one dude. I don't know why I just wanted to drop kick him when I was watching it. He's like wearing like a red sport coat, and he's yes. like always just like hopping into the shot and like laughing it up. And it's like, man, you're such a dork that you're you're just so happy to be in the room that MJ is gonna be like, yo, man get the door and he's going to sprint dead oh, sprint yeah. to the door. You mean this door MJ? I'm like, just run at it. Um, I don't know. Like, okay. We know that this is the way it is. If someone's going to be like, Hey man, I can sneak up to MJ's room today. They just won the M- NBA championship. Oh, like yeah. I, I get, I can jump on this elevator. I'll be in MJ's room for the next hour until someone asks like, Hey man, what's your name again? Get out of here. You're so, totally pulling a Michael Scott getting in the wedding picture for Phyllis. Totally. And Bob Benzoe, you're just sneaking your way in until someone's like, Dad, I would do that. 100% I would do that. But you couldn't be the guy, like, I would, I'd last 30 seconds if I was hanging on the piano and MJ's just like, king, 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 king. (laughs) And, like, just basically, like, doing whatever it is he felt like doing, knowing that there's 20 guys in the room that are just going to knock themselves over laughing. If you remember it, it's the best. It's the best comparison I can think of. There's an episode in Sopranos in season five, where Carmela says to Tony, "Like these guys aren't your friends. They're just your cronies. They just they laugh at your stupid jokes. They tell you that you've lost weight, you know, all this dumb stuff." And he has this scene where he's at a card game and he tells a terrible joke, <laughs> and he's looking around slowly, like everyone's dying, laughing, like yeah. slapping each other and pointing at Tony. And they go around slowly, and he's, like, starting to realize, like, these guys aren't my friends. One, I don't think MJ cared, like, or was, like, Tony Soprano in his head about that sort of stuff. But that's exactly the first thing my mind went to, was, like, these dudes, Michael says jump. These guys are just going to, like, max out on vert. If these guys, if he said, (laughs) boys, hit the deck, I need to see 80 push-ups, guys would be like, you want wide grip, or do you want in close? (laughs) These guys would have done anything to make oh, him yeah. happy. It's kind of like, yeah, I guess I get it. But it's also like that shit wouldn't be for me, man. The groupie oh, likes yeah. the, the 40, the 45 year old groupie, like <laughs> get off you. it now. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. They're all doing the Tim Grover jump attack program just to get their vert up for when Mike says jump. And if Mike uh, says jump tonight, I got to be ready. So yeah. I got to get that vert up to 28. Um, there, there are a few scenes throughout the last dance where, and I felt this culminating it perfectly, where Mike's telling jokes and no one's laughing, but then there's one guy just clapping in the back. Like there's one where he's on the plane. I don't even remember what he's saying, but he's just kind of walking up and down, talking shit. I think it's after the Super Bowl. And there's a few of the players when you watch it, they're just sitting there. You can tell they're like, shut the fuck up. Like, I'm so tired. I don't need MJ going. I'm just cackling and falling over. And the other scene is, it's it's this, it's one of my favorite scenes just because the face MJ makes when he cracks open that Miller Light and he is struggling so hard. Like, he just goes up and puts out an effortless 45 and then can't for the life of him open a can of beer. 
but he's telling jokes to Scottie Pippen and Ron Harper, and they have so clearly zoned him out entirely. But there's a guy in the corner just yucking it up. And oh, I thought that was, in a way, it was it was kind of sad for me because it, it, it kind of adds to that whole, like, how happy is this dude when the people actually close to you are kind of like, all right, man, we get it. But then the hangers-ons are just like, oh, MJ, it was classic. Tell it again. And uh, he's got a real ragtag entourage, which made me wonder, you wake up tomorrow, you have MJ's notoriety. What does your entourage look like? Because you need to have an entourage. You're not going on the road by yourself. You can't. What is yours going to be like? Is it just going to be security? Is it just going to be like, ah, I'll get one security. I'm going to bring family. You're like, hey, man, I'm bringing the band back together. How do you think you handle having an entourage? What does it look like? Or other question, if you're in an entourage, which guy are you? Oh, man. Um, Loaded question, I know. I'm the guy that probably gets kicked out after season one of that version of the entourage where I'm like, I'm probably the guy that gets too comfortable and says something like, I don't know, man. I kind of thought that game was shit, and then I'm out the door. So um, I'm definitely the – the only way I'm hanging around is if I get in with the superstar of like, I like the smart ass comments. I got to have like four other guys that I can rip on to try and like, anytime anyone does something poorly, I can be like, what a joke and try and hope that that gets a laugh out of, out of MJ. That's my only hope. If that doesn't work, I'm out the door. I'd agree um, with you on that one. If I'm, if I've gotten my entourage at 37, <laughs> it's going to be a pretty boring entourage, man. I want someone that can go get food. I want someone that can, you know, work the door. So like, make sure that like, you know, nobody could like bugs you or stuff like that. I want someone that's always going to be up for like, Hey man, I'd really feel like playing Yahtzee or cribbage. Like you yeah. have to play like yeah. when I feel like it. Um, and then I, I don't know, I, I'd want a couple guys from St. Paul that just like would like love to sit around and just talk about bullshit. And like Let's clarify St. Paul, Minnesota, not St. Paul, Alberta. No, no, no. I'm talking St. Paul, <laughs> Minnesota. I'm talking, yeah, like Snelling and Hamlin. Like I, I want guys that would just be willing to be like, what do you want to do tonight? I don't want to do anything. Wicked. Yeah. And like Excellent. just plunk down and like yeah. we can watch the baseball game and make fun of this guy. We can say, like, hey man, I bumped into this dude I went to high school with. What a loser. And you just rip into that. Totally. That's totally. what I need. Very, very different version than probably what I would have wanted to have in my 20s. Um, yeah. But yeah, I want guys that are like totally into like, hey, man, I'm trying to be in bed at 10 tonight. And everyone in the entourage would be like, I'm trying to be in bed at 950. Like, this is going to be a good one. But if it was your, yeah. your version of an entourage now, what would you want to go it, with? My entourage would never have been fun. Um, I think I'm a reasonably fun guy, but I'm not exciting. Like if, if I just wake up and I'm worth 2 billion tomorrow and I, and I can like convince my friends like, Hey, can you like get away for the weekend or m- my wife's friends with all their friends? So I'd probably be like, yeah, let's go on this big couples thing. And then I'd like take the jet out to Vegas. And, like we're going to have a weekend then get there. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm just going to go to bed. Anybody want to go to bed? Yeah. <laughs> I would love to think, yeah, I'm just out doing this that and the other but no it would just be like hey let's play some smash bros go to bed go home tomorrow this sucks i would be my entourage i would need people to be adversarial in my entourage i would want guys to like sit down and be like you know what 
Samus is the best character in Smash Bros. and have someone come over the top and be like, you're an idiot, it's Yoshi. Yeah. Like, that's what yeah. I need in yeah. my entourage of, like, <laughs> if you can eat up a good hour of arguing about which character in Smash Bros. is the best, perfect, you're in. I totally agree, because my, my, a, a certain level of hell, in my opinion, would be going to a big city and going to a hot nightclub and, like, putting on my blazer and getting bottle service. I've been to places with bottle service. That's not, like, some brag. That's very... That's a very ordinary thing for a lot of people. But like last New Year, some friends and I went to Phoenix and one night we went to this place with bottle service and I was like, we need to get the hell out of here immediately. It's just the douchiest thing. You just have guys. No one's even having a conversation. Guys are just like with their poly D blowouts and like perfectly manicured eyebrows, just mean mugging everybody while they slowly drink some whatever the hell is they're drinking. We're just like, is that fun? What yeah. about that looks fun? You, you spent 45 minutes getting dressed yeah, and getting your eyebrows waxed to perfection. Just you can get out and mean. Like, and of course you get the idiots like, yo, that's baller. And we're like, do you want to just go get like a $4 beer at this dive-in because we're bums? So I, yeah. I'm sure we could make in our own way very fun. But when I think of Entourage, I, of course, think of the show. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure I'd be Johnny Drama before getting kicked off. I'd be the Johnny Drama who never had any level of success before <laughs> just getting killed off or something in the next season. Yeah, you know, I don't know what who those guys were. I mean, like, Ahmad Rashad solidifies himself in this show as, like, the ultimate, yo, MJ, how you feeling? Like, that kind yeah. of guy. Yeah. Where, like, it, it, it does wind up being a great segment where he was, he just, like, master of the obvious stuff. Like, you know, some can, some can. Yeah. Like, well, sheesh, yeah, that Ahmad, like, thank God you're here. So... <laughs> It does. It does segue into a funny bit where he says, "You know, don't tell Scott Burrell that." But I think that was funny. But like Ahmad Rashad is like the ultimate. Just like let me just say something. Doesn't even have to be good. There's just dead air. Let me say something. Let me get a quote where it's like, when this airs in 25 years, they have to put Ahmad. Some can, some can't. Yeah, and like was, uh... for the first three titles, I think Quinn Buckner was king of that mountain because like randomly he'd be sitting next to him like smoking cigars laughing right. at whatever he's saying and it's like man quinn you're king of the hill right now so Seriously. i think yeah for 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 us in the spots that we're at i yeah i i'd love i'd love to have people around that are just willing to argue that would that would be fun and you got to have a pension like maybe eating chipotle every second day but if you can do that you're probably in that's a good life. Yeah, and the other problem with me would be if I, if I get any kind of entourage, it would hopefully be due to comedy. So I'm going to have other comedians around me. So whether I want to or not, even if I am like, you know what, man, I feel like going out tonight. It's just going to be a bunch of guys riffing back and forth, trying to be hilarious. I'm like, all right, I'm going to bed. Shut the fuck up. And I'm going to be the guy leading the entourage, and I'm going to be the only one sleeping alone in the hotel. Yeah. Something to strive for, maybe one day. All that said, I think probably a good point to start wrapping it up. I think The Last Dance was such an awesome thing to have going on right now. Everything um, going on in the world. It was so nice to have this distraction. It was so cool as a lifelong basketball person to be reminded of all this and then learn a lot of things I didn't know. And it's also for me, maybe the coolest part is seeing how this um, has impacted people who maybe aren't basketball fans at all or are very casual between this and last year's playoff run with the Raptors and, being in a city like Edmonton where basketball just has never been a big deal and it's gaining more and more popularity. It, it's really cool 
to be able to talk about this stuff now, not just ask like, hey, you guys catch that uh, catch that Raptors game? Guys are like, no, shut up and talk about the Oilers. You know what I mean? It's really cool that this is really a topic of discussion everywhere now. And I loved it. I'm bummed. I'm bummed it's over. But it, it was it was great, man. Mm-hmm, I agree. One of the best lines he had in the last in the last two episodes was when the Pacers won two. He said, uh, "Still got to come through Chicago. Like yeah. all of these teams, is still going to come through Chicago." And that really was what they had established. It was so cool to see the pride that was taken in a lot of these teams, and just from how different it is now. Like these guys spend years with the same team. Yeah with small new additions, but they build, they draft players. Most of the same people are still together and how they just continue to try and push and climb and and get to the point where they're on the top and how many good teams never got there because they played in the MJ era. Um, Yeah, this was, it went way too quick. Like this was five Mondays and it felt like it flew by now that it's done, but you know, hopefully with this type of thing where it's on a streaming service and it's not just like a special that they run and you just got to hope that one day it's back on, that this can be something that everyone revisits and watches. And I'm yeah. sure there will be different takes on it as people have time to think about it yeah. and, and make inform opinions. Um, but I loved it. I thought it was great to for the nostalgia. There was just enough nostalgia. And then there was also new things and different ways to look at it. When all this was happening, we were kids. And... Now you get a chance to see it, see it from a, from an adult's perspective, and and um, I loved Jordan before, and I don't think I've ever loved him. I don't think I've ever loved or, or thought he was awesome more more awesome than yeah. I do now. So uh, yeah, this was this was great. This was such a thing that uh, I don't know. We'll see what what people will try to do to duplicate it or try and write off the success. Oh, there will be duplications that fail miserably, and I can't wait to talk about those because you said, and I don't know which when we'll do it, but we'll have an episode pretty soon where we make fun of some of the shittiest documentaries out there. I should we, come we've quickly. spoken so glow. Oh God, just go on Netflix and watch one. Um, no, th- this has been super fun to talk about, and I'm I'm, I'm excited to revisit it at some point. Like I said, I'm for sure one day when it's ugly outside, I don't have anything. I'm just gonna binge the hell out of these but it's been really fun to talk about and yeah it'll be really fun to talk about more things probably less glowingly if i know you and i as well as i think i do (laughs) for sure for sure all right good stuff steve we'll do it again next week looking forward to it sounds good thanks buddy